Hello, and welcome to Worth It, a podcast brought to you by Proskauer's Private Client Services Group, covering a wide range of topics concerning estate planning, wealth transfer, and important legal developments and other issues our clients frequently face when organizing their estates. My name is Dan Hatton, associate in Proskauer's New York office. And in this episode, we will be discussing GRATs. What are some of the key details clients need to know about these trusts, how they can benefit our clients, and most importantly, is now a good time to create a grad. Joining me for this episode is Hank Leibowitz, partner in Proskauer's New York office. Welcome, Hank. Hi, Dan. Nice to chat with you today. Hank, uh, let's start by taking a step back. And would you please give us some background on what is a grad and how it works? So first off, everyone's probably wondering what a grad stands for. A GRAT is simply an abbreviation for a grantor retained annuity trust. They are creatures of the Internal Revenue Code. They're allowed right in the code and they've been effective since about 1990. The key word in GRAT is annuity. This is a trust that's created for a term of year and the annuity is paid back to the person who created the trust. We we, uh, usually call that person the settler or the grantor and the annuity is typically paid back to him or her over a two-year period. So essentially you're getting everything back with a tiny bit of growth and whatever is left over after the annuity payments are made gets to pass free of gift tax to trusts, usually for either the benefit of your spouse or children. Sounds like a pretty good way to transfer wealth by transferring that appreciation to your spouse, your children, the beneficiaries. Are there any drawbacks to a grant? One of them is in order for a grant to succeed, you have to live through the term of the grant. But what happens if you are unlucky enough to die during the term? You're essentially no worse off than if you had just uh, not created the trust. Those assets are simply includable in your estate. Thanks, Hank. That That's a great overview and um, very helpful to understand the, the minimal downside in a grant. So let's talk about setting up a grant and specifically, what are the best kind of assets that a client wants to use when they're funding their grant? Sure. So when we're talking about funding a grant, remember a grant is just a trust and all we're doing is transferring assets into a trust where the set law is going to retain an interest for two years and then the growth passes on to the remainder men, which is generally again spouses for uh, trust for spouses or children or usually both. Now, the best asset to transfer, and generally it's like this in all estate planning, are assets that are gonna go up in value. You know, the key to estate planning is to find assets that will appreciate where you could transfer them at a low value. Can you give an example of what this looks like? Um, maybe using some numbers would be helpful. Sure, so the easiest way to picture this is to think of a marketable security and you know, just think of one stock, for instance, pretend you have a big uh, portfolio of that one stock and it's worth a million dollars. And you think in two years, it's gonna be worth $1,500,000. Well, that's the perfect type of asset that we're talking about contributing to a grant because you're looking to take that 
$500,000 of appreciation outside of your estate through the GRAT. And through a GRAT, you can do that totally free of gift tax. And free of estate tax, too. Correct. And of course, you know, it doesn't have to be a marketable security, but that is the easiest one to picture because it's just easy to transfer that stock into a GRAT. And it's then the ideal, you know, one of the ideal assets because it's easy to value. Dan, another ideal asset would be maybe a private company that you think is going to go public. And if it has the IPO during that two-year term, well, usually there's a big increase in value. And from that liquidity event, you know, a GRAT could be very successful. The thing that makes that a little more difficult than publicly held securities is you do need to get an appraisal of that asset when you contribute it and, you know, each year thereafter until the grad goes public when it's easy to value. Sounds like that still, you know, could be a pretty good deal and be worth the administrative hassle though. Are there any type of assets that you wouldn't recommend a client use for funding a grad? Yes. So real estate typically is not the best asset for funding a grad. A, it's hard to value. So every year you'd have to get different, uh, an, an appraisal done. It's harder to transfer because there's deeds. Yes, you could, you know, in theory, transfer the real estate to an LLC and then have that LLC valued each year. But the administrative hassles of all those valuations and transfers are more difficult. Thanks. That's that's very helpful. Uh, you mentioned some of this at the top when you were explaining some background of the grads. Um, but can you go into some more detail on the benefits and the adverse consequences to creating a grad? Absolutely. So remember, one of the nice things about a grad is that it's created by the Internal Revenue Code. So it's not like this is some, you know, dark secret that the IRS searches for. This is an approved device. So as long as you do it right, the audit risk is low. Again, specifically approved under the code. That's not to say a, a grad can't be audited, but from the self-adjustment factor, there's low risk in utilizing a GRAT. Again, the downside, as we were saying before, is that you have to outlive the GRAT. But say you don't, it's still in your estate. So the risk really is the same as, you, as, you, as if you had done nothing. Really, your downside here is the administrative cost in setting one up if you would die to die during the term. Or one other thing that we didn't talk about is not everything goes up. In these examples, we were assuming the grad increases in value. Should the grad stay the same or de decrease? You know, you're no worse off than you would have been if you did nothing again, other than just the administrative costs. You sound like pretty minimal downsides, and that's probably why a lot of clients uh, really like grads. Sounds mostly like a like a win-win situation. As a matter of fact, in some of the articles that we've written about this over the years, we call it, you know, heads you win, tails you don't lose. If the grad's successful, heads you win, and it passes the appreciation to your beneficiaries. But in the tails you don't lose scenario, it's as if you didn't do it, you know, so you're back where you started and you're at the administrative costs, which really are not a lot in a grant. 
pretty pretty good deal. When we've talked a little bit about the beneficiaries and maybe setting these things up to pass to a trust for spouse or for descendants, um, is there any difference that clients should be aware of that come up with a grant as a result of um, who you name as the beneficiary? Yes. So again, this is a great vehicle for passing appreciation for appreciating assets to children or spouse and children. It is not a good device for passing assets to grandchildren. The reason for that is when you pass assets to grandchildren in a trust, you generally want to use some of your generation skipping tax exemption. And a grant does not allow you to use that exemption. So if assets pass to grandchildren in a grant, generation skipping tax could be due. So we use other vehicles for grandchildren. All right. So let's talk about the, the current moment in August 2020. Is this a good time or a bad time to create a grant? And what about this moment makes a grant particularly appealing? So it's a great time for a grad, and one of the reasons is because the way a grad works, when we were explaining earlier that you basically get back over two years the initial value of what you put in as your annuity, and that's why there's no you know gift tax due, there is a little extra that you're required to take back under the grad rules, and that's based on the interest rate in effect in the month that you create it. The lower the interest rate, the less extra growth you need to take back. In August of 2020, the interest rate that the IRS requires you to use with a grad is 0.4%. It's a historic low. So essentially, if you get growth of more than 0.4% in each year of the grad, there will be something left to pass to your kids. So that's why now is, you know, there's never been a better time. Additionally, with some asset values low, that also is a good starting time for a grad. Yeah, 40, 40 basis points is very low. And I know we've both seen a lot of clients uh, get much better growth than that. So it sounds like a, a really good time to make a grad. Yeah, I mean, if you want to look at it number-wise, if you start with the same example we've been using where someone puts a million dollars into a grat any appreciation over four thousand dollars during the grat term will pass to uh the kids so it, you know you, you need minimal growth so is there anything else that clients should be aware of or that you think we should discuss about grats before we wrap up so although it might almost sound like this is too good to be true it's a device that's approved in the code. So really the only risk here is that you follow everything that the code sets out that you must follow. So for instance, in administering a grant, there are certain rules that have to be followed in taking back this annuity. Essentially, the annuity is paid on the anniversary date that the grant is created, you know, one year after, and then it ends two years after. And there is a 105-day grace period that the IRS gives you in paying this annuity back to yourself. So it's important to do the calculation right to make sure 
that you're giving yourself back what you need to, and it's important to do it during the 105-day grace period. If you don't do it correctly, then there's risk that the IRS will say you don't have a proper grat, in which case you made a gift of everything that you put into the grat to begin with, and that could be a very large gift, and that, you know, you don't want to happen. So administering it properly is very careful. Also, you have to file a gift tax return in connection with a gift. And a grad, I mean, as we said, the gift is going to be very low here, but it's still important to file that gift tax return. So you start the statute of limitations, which is generally three years. So it sounds like overall grads are a really useful tool for clients to utilize especially if they have assets that they think they're going to be appreciating in the in the next few years. Um, and right now, it's potentially a great time in light of the low interest rate environments and the fact that some assets remain significantly affected by the recent volatility in the markets. Hank, thank you for joining me today and, and explaining a little bit about grats. Dan, thank you. You know, as we know, for clients that have already done this, once they see how it works, they essentially always have grats going. We call that rolling grats. And, you know, after the end of the two years, people do another one and another one. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. Thank you. And with that, we will wrap up this episode of Worth It. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and please join us for future episodes. If you would like to receive notifications by email when new episodes are available, please visit our website, proskauer.com, and click the subscribe to our publications link at the bottom of any page. Thank you for listening.